Amen. Welcome to church this morning. How is everybody? Good. Hear me okay? I'm hot here. All right. Great to see. Go ahead and be seated, if you will. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate that, brother. Um, this morning, if you would like to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, that's where we're going to be looking. I know we looked at Romans 12, verse 1 last week, and then we kind of jumped from there and looked into spiritual gifts. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans uh, 12, verse 2, and what it means to have a renewed mind in the image of Christ. And this morning, as we, we look at God's Word and we talk about this, I want to challenge you to think about your thinking, to think about your thoughts, your thought processes, what goes on up there. Uh, someone once said that where your thoughts go, um, your life follows. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Scripture says, as a, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. What's interesting is that neurologists say that we have anywhere from, I get a hold of this, 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. So that's a lot of traffic going on up there. I'm not sure exactly who's doing all the counting on that. And when I first read that statistic, I thought, nah, how can they know that? And so I did a little bit of checking, a little bit of digging, and I found that was pretty consistent with neurologists and scientists about what's going on. In fact, some sources say up to 90,000 thoughts a day. And I realized those are the days that I feel like I have monkey mind. Okay, you ever have that? You know, really busy, busy up there. Other days, I'm not sure that anything's going on upstairs. And that's on the low spectrum. But here's what was interesting about our thoughts. They say that 85% of them are negative. Doubts, fears, criticisms, comparisons, many times uh, criticisms of ourself. And what that does is it cranks up a lot of negative self-talk. And what's, what's even scarier is that they say 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. We just think the same thing over and over again, day after day after day. And I realize, well, yeah, there are days that I wonder, when, when do I ever have an original thought? Now, here's what's interesting. Oops, there's one of those negative thoughts right there. In fact, I've already mentioned three just on myself this morning. And so it's very easy to do. It's very insidious uh, about how we put ourselves down or have negative thoughts that go on. Now, um, it used to be that psychologists and neurologists said that once we get into the habit of thinking, you know, once these thoughts are formed in our mind, these patterns are formed in our mind, they used to say, we're stuck. Uh, the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, you have it there, it's there, you've got that memory and it's locked in. And once you have a thought pattern or a neuro connection, it's concrete, you're trapped in that habit or that addiction or that negative pattern or that depression or that defeat. And so the best thing we could do is just try to medicate you and help you endure life. And the, the thought was people don't change, that they're stuck in those habits. And so when we would talk in Christianity and others would talk about the fact that the mind can be healed and can be changed, they would dismiss that. But you see, that's not what God says. Here's what the Lord says in Romans 12, verse 2. Watch this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. So the question is, if that's true, what's going on upstairs? And I want to ask you that this morning. What's going on upstairs in, in your mind? We have to realize there's a difference between our mind and our brain. 
I know, it sounds confusing, but the brain is the organ. It's the mechanical computer that God ingeniously designed up there, and it functions as an organ. Your brain, I mentioned this last week, has 10 billion neurons in it. That's the basic cell of the brain. And each neuron of those 10 billion has 10,000 tiny little branches that go from it to other neurons. And each time we have a thought or a memory, a new little branch called a dendrite, which is uh, Greek for tree, is formed. That little branch gets formed. And what we used to think is once those are formed, they're formed forever, and a new memory is stored. Scientists now realize that's not exactly true, that the mind, the brain, has a way to heal, to change, that it's moldable. And so in scientific terms, they call that neuroplasticity. God calls it renewal, and that's what he's talking about here. The problem is that our minds get flooded every day. And And when you think about what's going on upstairs, we realize that we don't control every thought that flows through our mind. Some of them are pretty crazy. Some of them are pretty wild that just kind of fly in there. And we go, where did did that come from? Why did I think that? And so there is a lot of activity that we're not in control of. But the thing is, we do have a choice about where we put our focus, what what we zero in on, what we think about, what we choose to dwell upon, what we choose to learn and to put into our brain and store away up there. And that's, that's the mind being put to use. So God says, don't be conformed in your mind. Instead, he says, be transformed. And what's the difference between being conformed and transformed? Well, being conformed takes no energy at all. It takes no effort whatsoever. It just happens. Think, um, think Plato. <laughs> For a moment, or, or clay, you know, it's there and you're, it's moldable. You can take it and exert some pressure on it and can form it. But what does Plato do? It just sits there, and you apply pressure. And wherever you apply pressure, you can begin to shape it any way that you want to. Well, our minds can be like that if we allow that to take place. The same thing can happen, and it can be conformed. It can be impacted by forces outside of itself if we just allow our minds to be filled. And to passively just kind of go along through life being with others telling us what to think or the media or social media or influencers or social architects or mind shapers. And those all exist, people who want to impact us by influencing our minds. Uh, then we just have a, have a conformed mind. And God's saying, don't let your mind be shaped by others. Don't let it be conformed and pressured by others. But he says, instead, be transformed. Now, the difference between conformed and transformed is transformation takes energy. It takes power. It takes a force. And it takes, on our part, some concentrated effort. There's an energy or a power at work here. And when that is a combination of God's power and God's word and our focus, our receptivity upon that, the renewal process begins. So Paul wrote in the book of Philippians that we can have the mind of Christ. We can have the thought patterns, the attitude, the way of thinking that Jesus did. So what would a Christ-like mind look like? I want you to to just take your mind a moment and imagine. What would it be like if you had a Christ-like mind? What changes might begin to take place? What shapes might begin to take place in your life? Well, let's just think about that for a few moments. And I want to take the Word of God 
and show you several characteristics of a Christ-like mind so we can set that before us and understand what God desires and then we can intentionally engage in that, that renewal process. In Romans 8, verse 6, this is a great verse, it says that the mind that is set upon the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. First characteristic is a mind that is set upon the spirit that is being renewed, that is Christ-like, it's alive. It's alive spiritually. It's alive in so many different ways because God who designed the mind is working in that mind. What does it mean, though, to be in the flesh? I mean, we're talking about more than just our physical body. When the Bible talks about the flesh, the Greek word is sarks, it means that we're operating by our own selfish desires, our own needs, being putting that above other people, uh, even fulfilling a God-given desire, but in a God-forbidden way, in a selfish way, is living in the flesh apart from God. It's letting our desires and appetites rule our life. You know, God created us to enjoy food. He created us to, he created us to eat. Eating is a good thing. And when we're eating and even enjoying eating, it's not selfish. It's, it's a part of God's design. But when we, instead of eating to live, we live to eat. And we overdo it. And I've been there, you know, we're living in the flesh. We're feeding the flesh. We're overdoing. We're feeding something. When that happens, more than just our body, we're medicating and we're using that as a substitute for joy or happiness in our life. And that's letting the flesh control. That's kind of an example rather than the spirit. And that applies when it talks about living in the flesh in Scripture. It applies to so many different things, many things. We typically think, well, he's talking about sensual pursuit. And that, that's true. Sensual pursuit outside of the margins of God, the design of God, is living in the flesh. But it could be shopping and materialism just to gain, to gain, to gain, even what we don't need. That's living to satisfy the flesh or demanding our own way. You know, serve me, I want my way. It could be the, the sick joy that you, a person gets out of gossip. And the list could go on and on. In fact, Galatians chapter uh, 5, there's the fruit of the Spirit, but there's also a list of the fruits of the flesh. And so as you look in Scripture, note those things. That's opposite of the Spirit. And God is saying, set your mind on the Spirit and not the flesh. Set the direction on the mind because the mind set upon the flesh, on self, it's a dead end. He says it leads to death. It kills so many things spiritually, uh, relationally, socially, emotionally in our life. But the mind that is set upon the spirit, he says it's life. The Greek word here for life is zoe, which means more than physical life, which we just have a heartbeat. It's talking about the kind of life Jesus describes in John 10.10 10, when he said, I have come to give you life, same word, and to give it to you abundantly, overflowing. It reminds me of what he, he talks about when he stands up at the feast, big religious feast one day, and a rich, abundant, flowing life of spiritual vitality. It flows out of our innermost being, and he described it this way. It says, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And we know he's talking about the life that the spirit gives who lives with inside of us. The mind set upon the spirit is life. It taps into the life of God, the river of God, if you want to use that term, flows within us. Second characteristic 
is single-mindedness. Somebody prayed that this morning in one of the prayers, that we would be single-minded. Paul said, I'm afraid that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Now, one of the ways that the enemy likes to attack us all is to bombard our minds. I mean, 60,000 thoughts a day, that's a lot of traffic upstairs. That's a lot of things that are going on, and we're not even conscious of so much of it. And it means that we're kind of getting pulled and yanked all throughout the day. And all too often, when we have thoughts, we just let them flow. We just go with those, and we accept them as true. You know, it must be true because I thought it. And what happens with thoughts is they trigger chemicals in our brain, which makes us have feelings. And that reinforces it. And we say, well, I know it's true because I feel that. I had the thought, and I feel it. So it feels true to me. But here's the question, but is it? Is it really true? To become single-minded, more focused, means that we have to think about our thinking. We have to think about our thoughts, and we have to test them. So when you have a thought or we have an impression, stop and examine that and ask this question, is that thought true? Is it really true? Do I know for sure that it's true? Can I test it and see that it's true? Could it be false? Could it possibly be just a random thought? Could it possibly be something the enemy was just throwing in here to throw me off? You may have had this happen sometimes. You know, you're talking to someone and they just seem disengaged. I was talking to a person recently. They were a professional and, and they just seemed out of sorts. And I thought, are they mad? Are they mad at me? I mean, do they just not like me and not want to talk to me? And, you know, if I had those thoughts... And you begin to go, well, something's going on here. I don't think they like me. They've got kind of a frown on their face. And, you know, they just kind of want to wrap this thing up and move on. Well, is that true? Is it really true? How do you know that it's true? Could something else be going on? Could it be the spicy bean soup they had for lunch that's at work within them? And the thoughts that they're really going through their mind is, where is the restroom? I got to get out of here. You know, could it be something else? Could it be a phone call they just had and had an argument with their child or with a spouse? Could it be that they're waiting for a call from the doctor later that day and that they're anxious and worried? We don't know. We can't read people's minds. We don't know what's going on. But sometimes it triggers those thoughts within us. So many of our thoughts are not true. They're just thoughts. And we have to learn to question them and hold them up to God's word and ask, is this really true? Is my mind in agreement with God? Is this what he is thinking right now? Am I asking for his thoughts in this situation? Lord, what do you say about this? What do you feel about this? Am I seeking his kingdom, his rule above all else at the moment? So that we have to test and we have to rigorously test our own thoughts and say, does this line up with God? Does this agree with him? Another example of uh, negative talk like this is negative self-talk. And we all, we all do this. Um, you know, we make a mistake. We, we, we blunder something. And we, we say, sometimes we say it out loud. And sometimes we just think it. Hey, you dummy. I can't believe you did it. You've messed this up. Am I the only one? No. You know, we, we, this is, you know or even, even sometimes we're pretty mean to ourselves. You go, you idiot. You're a loser. And I'm sure nobody else has done that in here. But we're sometimes pretty mean to ourselves. Sometimes we say things to ourselves that we would never say to another person. And we're not nice to ourselves. 
at all. God says that we're to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, strength, and everything else. And he says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if there is a healthy God love and appreciation of ourself. We're to love ourselves the way God loves and accept ourselves the way he does. And we're to love our neighbor in that same way. And sometimes that's a forgetting part of the commandment. Dr. Daniel Amen, um, he calls those negative thoughts an interesting word. He calls them ants, A-N-T-S, which stands for automatic negative thoughts. And sometimes we have ant infestations. If you had one of those in the house, if you have kids, I guarantee you have, you know, because Cheerios draw ants, do they not? So do gummy bears. And, you know, the ants that come in, they go, where are they coming from? I mean, they're just, and it's really aggravating. I had a horrific thing happen to me years ago where we had an ant infestation in the wall to the shower. Yeah, and I was in there, and the wall came out, and so did the ants. Yeah, and that was one of the first streakers in America right there. <laughs> it was a horrible, embarrassing... And, you know, being, being brave and bold, I just said, oh, this is not a problem. No, I, I squealed like a little girl, you know, getting out of there. Because that was horrible. That was like out of a, a horror movie. Well, we have ant infestations, automatic negative thoughts that get going up here. And we've got to catch them. We've got to deal with them. We need to hold them up to Christ and say, Lord, is this what you say about me? Is this what you say about this person? Is this what you say about this, this situation? And test it because they're, they're ants and we've got to question it and compare it to God or we easily fall into the trap of believing lies. And then our mind and our feelings get hijacked. So seek God. Find out, read his word and see what do you say about me? What do you say about other people? What do you say about situations in life? And line our minds up next to him. I, I fear that in America we're getting a little bit, can I say this? Lazy? Oh, okay. Well, good guess. That was good too. That too. Uh, a little bit lazy in some ways because it's easier to ask Siri or ask Alexis. My kids got me one of those Alexis deals. And so we had the most interesting conversations and I asked Alexis, uh, Alexa, uh, uh, Andrea, you know, I asked Alexa all these questions just to see what, you know, but you know what? That's not where we need to go for having our mind transformed. Alexa or Google, you know, Google it. We need to get into the Word of God, take the time to read slowly the Word of God, to read and digest the Word of God to let God's word begin to have its powerful effect within us. I used to read fast so that I could cover a lot of territory and check the boxes off. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I, I try to read slowly and, and get into the story. When I'm reading an account of Jesus and the disciples, uh, I like to use the phrase, I like to, to taste the grit between my teeth. I like to picture being there with the disciples. I would fit right in with those dummies. And, and just listen to the Lord. Oh, there was another one, right? Yep. yep. To sit there and experience it. What did it sound like to hear Jesus talk? Do our people going, hmm? 
you know, what was happening and begin to really digest that. So read the word slow, turn it around and apply, let it apply to, let the Lord's spirit apply that to your life and he'll ask you questions as, as you do that. The Bible tells us that the mindset of the flesh is death. It kills our zest, our emotions, and it robs us of joy. But the mindset upon the spirit is life. Single devotion to Christ is a mind that is set upon him above all else. The next characteristic that I want to mention of a Christ-like mind is humble. Um, the word uh, lowly is sometimes used. A Christ-like mind is a mind that is being renewed and it is humble. It doesn't think more about itself than it should. It doesn't put itself first. It's not inflated or boastful or arrogant or proud or other things that we are tempted to fall into. So there is a purposeful humbling, an intentional humbling of ourselves. Paul wrote this, but with humility of mind, esteem one another or regard one another as more important than yourself. He goes on to talk about what that looks like. And you know, you know what it looks like? Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul. Have this mind within yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And he goes on to talk about the extremity of him being willing to be a servant, that he would offer himself as a sacrifice to allow my sin, your sin, to be laid upon him in our place. Some versions of your Bible may, may use the word instead of mind. It may say have this attitude. It's talking about a mental attitude that produces action. Action. So that word is used, that same word about, about mind is used four times in the Bible. And every time it's used, it's used to be talking about ourself and having a humble mind. See, even though Jesus sat upon a throne in heaven and ruled, even though he was surrounded by gazillions of angels who worshipped him, even though he could look out all, throughout all of creation and see it all and know that he had formed that, he left that position and he came down to earth. And as we just celebrated last month, he was born a uh, very humble, poor family in a backwoods part of the world in, in the most vulnerable of all ways, an infant to come and to take our sin with that mission to come and take our sin upon himself. He allows the sin of mankind to be laid upon him. Our sin to be laid upon him that he give us the gift of forgiveness and the gift of righteousness. That's humility. That's the example. That's the mindset, the attitude that, that is a Christ-like mind is moving through earth, being a servant and being humble to other people. The next one is pure. Now, Christ-like mind is pure. And I think that's kind of, you would think, yeah, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's very obvious. Our problem, our challenge, really, is that we see and we hear and we're bombarded with a lot of things that are not pure on a daily basis without trying. We don't have to try. We just live and move in this world. And you, you may go through days where you think, what I really need is a soul shower. <laughs> you know, I have just to get the grunge of the world off of me. Well, God's word has a powerful way of washing our spirit, of washing contamination off of us. Titus verse 1, verse 15, or chapter 115 says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, well, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience is defiled. 
To, to be pure here, he's not talking about perfection, by the way. He's not saying that you were perfect, but he, only Jesus is perfect. He's talking about those who have, having, who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who have had their sins forgiven. And God has cleansed them and made them to become pure, forgiven them, and now they are righteous. So I want to approach this, this challenge here just a little bit different. I want to I approach it with a question. What in life mentally are you looking for? What are you focusing upon? What are you seeking in the world that you live in? What on a daily basis are you trying to spot? Are you trying to locate as you move through earth? It's like when you go to the mall and you're in the parking lot, what are you looking for? You're looking for a parking place. So what is it in life as we go through, you're looking to spot, you're longing to see? The Bible says that we're to intentionally choose what we seek and look for and choose to dwell upon. In Philippians 4.8, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think or dwell or focus on these things. It goes on to say in Colossians 2, 3, to set your mind on things that are above, heavenly things, not upon things that are earthly. We're not talking about a Pollyanna world of perfection here. He's talking about how we set the direction of our mind, our focus, what we are on the lookout for. Because in life, we go through experience, the mind can be jaded, it can be impure, it can look for the impure, it can experience impurity in many different ways. And typically when we think about impurity, though we immediately think sexual, we think sensual, and that's true. There are so many traps in our, our world in sensuality. Uh, the lure of pornography or losing our mind in, in romance novels or movies, you know, that tout sensuality. There's so many things that will pull us sensually away. And our world is full of traps and hooks and lures to pull the mind off center and away from the thoughts that God is thinking. But purity goes beyond that. What else can we choose to think? What do we think about other people? What do we think about situations in life? What do we think about life itself versus choosing to look at life and people, ourselves, and situations the way God does? A, once, a very wise man once told me, um, Scott, you'll find what you look for. You'll find what you look for, what you seek. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? If we go out looking for purity, if we go out looking for good things, if we go out looking for the activity of God where God is at work, I think we'll find it. I think we'll find it. Uh, but yes, we're exposed to a lot of stuff in the worldly environment, but our heart and our mind and our inner purpose can be on the lookout for the best, for the good, for the works of God, for where God is up to something. And this is a part of the beauty of God's love for us. He looks at us and he looks for what he has invested in us and the treasure of who we are. He looks for the best in us. He, he's honest and he calls things as they are. He calls sin, sin, but that's not what he focuses upon. In the New Testament, I noted that he keeps calling the people in the New Testament, he calls them Saints, saints, have you read 1 Corinthians? 
Have you read that book? You know, their behavior, their actions, their attitudes many times were anything but what we would think of a saint being. And God's honest about this is not pleasing to me. This is wrong. But he says, but this is not who you are in me. This is not who I'm making you to become. I choose to call you saints. He calls Peter a rock. He calls us righteous and accepted and beloved and pure. He calls us differently because he sees what he is doing within us and what he is making us to become. The opposite of that is to, is to be negative and jaded by life and to allow the hurts and the hang-ups and the things that happen to us to begin to just think life stinks. You know, there's another word that usually goes on the back of cars about life. You know, that everything's bad. You know, family's bad, job's bad, world's bad, politics are bad, and I'm, now I'm in a bad mood. And it just begins to get negative. Um, psychologists call that negative sentiment override. That's an interesting word. But it means this, that, that we have a negative sentiment, a negative feeling that overrides anything good. And so we just look for what's bad. We're sensitive to what's bad. We focus on what's bad. I had a time in my life where uh, I really fell victim to that. Uh, the church was very, very young. We were in that first five-year period of time. And I'd been, I'd been to pastor school, you know, I, I knew a, a little bit about what a healthy church was supposed to look like, but I didn't know how to plant one. And so we were a group of us planting this church, starting this church and trying to get things going. We were meeting on Saturday nights. We found that didn't work too well because everybody would come tired and busy and, you know, uh, it was just kind of an off time for us. And I want to be honest with you, things didn't always go well. And I would take notes of what didn't go well. I was looking, you know, I'm going to take notes of what's going, not going well so that we can fix this, you know, stuff. So we'd go in on a typical Saturday night, and it was a train wreck sometimes. I mean, it was, it was bad. It really was comical. You know, the, none of the guitars would be in tune, and we would never really be able to figure that out until the end of the service. You know, that's why it sounded, that's why we couldn't sing with that. And, uh, you know, we'd have communion and drop the trays, and the sermon would just be a bomb, you know, just... You know, and then the prayer at the end, rather than people saying, hey, pray for me, they were praying, let this end. <laughs> and that was the same prayer I was praying sometimes, you know, let's put us out of our misery. I'd go home, I'd make my list, and then I would complain to God. I would call it prayer, but it was complaining to God. And one of those days, I was just saying, Lord, you know, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and help us, we can't figure this thing out. And I really sensed the Lord interrupt me with a question. And he said, okay, what went right? Excuse me? What went right? What was good? Where did you see me at work tonight? And I was thumped because <laughs> I wasn't looking for that. God began to challenge me. He, he rebuked me gently and lovingly. And, and this is what I felt like he, he wanted me to do. Next week when you go, I want you to look for what is good. I want you to take note and focus upon what goes right. And, I, I, you know, I, but Lord, what if nothing goes right? We'll look and just see. And, and he added one more thing, and I want you to celebrate it. Huh. Okay. So the next week I went. Worship was a train wreck. The sermon took off and never could find a good place to land. You know, people went to sleep. And I always would say, it's okay if you sleep, just don't snore and wake up anybody else. 
But when the whole thing was over, I thought, okay, Lord, won't we right? Well, you know, there was this one prayer that someone prayed out loud for us and really felt heaven. And when we were worshiping, I noticed the expression on a couple of people's face, and it was just such joy. And I began to look for those things week by week and to celebrate those and to, to, to speak about them, you know, to call them out of the good things that God was doing. And you know what happened? You say, well, the church changed and grew. No, I changed. My attitude, my, my disposition, my character began to be transformed. And as, as God began to change inside of hearts, inside of my heart, the way I viewed things and what I saw God doing, some things slowly began to change in the church too. The joy began to come up. And there was a transformation that took place. And I think that, that that's what we're talking about here is that we focus our heart and our mind upon what God is doing and we look for it. Maybe that's what Paul was doing when he wrote the book of Philippians, which I'm reminded he wrote a book on joy from a prison cell. How do you do that? You know, because the food stinks. The cells stink. The other prisoners stink. You stink. It's the rats stink. There's a lot of stuff that goes bad. And he writes about joy. How do you do that? You, you, in your spirit and in your mind, you enter into a whole other realm. You begin to see and experience the kingdom of God. Which brings me to the next point, five, responsiveness. A Christ-like mind is responsive, responds to the things of God responds to what the Lord is doing. And God has to, to open our understanding to do that. He has to speak to us. We have to open our mind up and our heart up to the word of God and to the activity of God. Jesus was walking one day with some disciples who just weren't getting it in the book of Luke. And the scripture says he opened their minds to understand the scripture. The Holy Spirit can begin to open our heart and our mind up to look and see what God has said, and what God is doing and what God desires to do and what God calls things. And that's partially what it means to be responsive to God. But also, responsiveness to God means obedience. And part of understanding the things of the kingdom of God comes as we obey. We would like to understand and then obey. Many times it's obey and then you understand. That's why it's called a walk of faith. The Bible says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That he's got a blemish or he's got, you know, you know toilet paper that you put on your shave cuts, you know, and you forget and you just go out to work and people are looking at you funny and you forget that it's there. No, he goes on to say that when we respond, when we look and allow God to speak to us and we respond to it, he says that person is blessed. In the Western world, we have a little problem with this because we think that knowing in our mind is all that matters. That's it. But that's not. The question isn't do we know it in our mind. I mean, sometimes somebody will start talking about something and we go, oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard that before. 
and we dismiss it real quick. That's the issue, and that's why I'm, I never apologize for repeating things in teaching because the question is not if we've heard it before. The question is, are we doing it? Amen. Are we doing it? Are we walking it out? Are we going outside the, the, the walls of the church and outside of our Bible studies and going, okay, let me put this into practice. Let me love my neighbor. Okay, someone has just offended me. Uh, I'm going to practice forgiveness. Amen. You know, I'm going to practice love. It's putting it into practice is what the Bible means when it says knowing something. It's to experience it. So to have a Christ-like mind is a mind that is girded for action, not just knowledge, not just knowledge. That's what we call this whole thing a journey, an apprenticeship with Jesus, is we're not just looking at some principles and saying we have the principles. We're on a journey together with Jesus. We're walking as apprentices, as disciples, and we're allowing him to form us as we live life out in the nasty now and now. That's where it's really to be walked out and applied, not just in our minds. That's what knowing in the Christ-like mind means. And then the last thing I'll, I'll talk about today is uh, peaceful. A Christ-like mind is peaceful. And we're going to circle back around to Romans 8 where we started this. It says the mind that's set on the flesh is death, but the mind set upon the spirit is life and peace, shalom. Uh, Philippians 4, 7, we were in just a moment ago, says it is the peace of God that's trans, which transcends all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I need that. How about you? I, I need peace that transcends my understanding because I can't figure it out. And it doesn't make sense to me. And the more I try to figure it out sometimes, the more uh, lack of peace I have, turmoil I have. I need some peace that comes from God that surpasses all of that and that will work in guarding my heart and my mind. I need that kind of peace, especially in the craziness of the world we live in today where we're just tossed around in so many different things. God's peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's more than the absence of a, a fight going on. It is the presence of a God who is in control, who has power and he brings to us an inner satisfaction, a joy, a peace, a rest that he's got it. No matter what, he's got it and he's got us. And that, that brings a wholeness to us. So when we set our mind upon the spirit, we're setting our mind upon unseen things, a spiritual realm. The spirit, he says, to set our mind upon is unseen. So he's inviting us to see beyond the physical. He's inviting us to set our mind upon a spiritual kingdom that surrounds us. And we remember that this world, this tangible world, is not all that there is. Amen. Colossians 3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. And this, this is the, the, the resurrection that takes place uh, when we're raised from the dead and the spirit brings us into life with him. He says, set your mind on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on, again, earthly things. So as followers of Christ, we're kind of a strange breed in so many different ways. The Bible even calls us aliens and calls us strangers here because we have one foot firmly planted in the reality of this world. We're not going to deny it in the nasty now and now of this world, but we have another foot firmly planted in an unseen kingdom that is here. 
When Jesus was walking the face of the earth, his announcement was the kingdom of God is here. It is breaking into our midst. It is here. Where? Where? I don't see it. Look for the things that God is doing. And he, he would later tell when, when John uh, the Baptist was struggling with this, he goes, well, tell John what you see. Tell them the miracles that you see, the, the salvations, the miracles, the healings that are taking place, the ministry that is taking place. Jesus announced it's breaking into our midst. So the challenge for you and me is to look and to see, where do I see God at work? Where do I see the Spirit moving? Where do I see the opportunities and the invitations of God? Where do I see the invitation to lay down selfishness and to take up servanthood? Where do I see those opportunities? Because as we pursue those and look for those and respond to those, what's happening is that our mind is being renewed. Neuroplasticity is taking place. It's being healed. Old dentrites, old patterns, you know what happens to those? You know that, that when we focus on other things and new ones are formed in our mind, new habits, new thoughts, new focus, that the old ones, just, they, they atrophy. They wither away. And in time, they just get swept away. And, and they're just washed away. We focus upon something completely brand new. And as we do that, our minds are transformed. We are transformed. And we become the salt, the light, the aroma of Jesus on the earth. And so what this verse says in Romans 12, verse 2, is that is when, when that is taking place, that our very life, our walking out life, is a demonstration of the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and it's perfect. So this morning, you know, they used to have a commercial, what's in your wallet? Uh, my question is, what's in your mind? What's going on up there? Where are we placing our focus? Are we looking beyond this world into the unseen, to look for what God is doing and calling it out and celebrating it. Yes, a lot of things are going wrong, but it doesn't have to upset the apple cart. It doesn't have to flip our life upside down because we're living with a foot in another kingdom, an invisible kingdom, an unshakable kingdom, the book of Hebrews says. So I want to encourage you this week, I want to challenge you this week to not be conformed to this world. Think about your thinking. Be transformed by actively and intentionally renewing your mind this week so we can demonstrate what it looks like, the kingdom of God. Well, let's stand together and let's pray. We want to move into a season of just kind of interacting with the Lord. And by that, I mean, I, I don't think we should ever preach the word and teach the word without giving us an opportunity to respond to the word. And, and that does not mean coming down front, okay? That means making a decision right where we stand. Lord, I'm going to put this into practice. Uh, Lord, I want to invite you to work in my life in this way. It may be asking for forgiveness for where we've blown it and missed it, you know, and, and the Lord says he wants to forgive and restore and work and pick us back up because he calls you a saint, and that's what he's working to transform. So let's uh, just stand for a moment and pray. We are going to uh, have a song.